Welcome to Rinkwise, the premier hockey podcast in New England, produced by the New England Hockey Journal. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. We're thrilled to introduce today's guest, legendary coach Tom Resor, head coach Nobles Women's Hockey. Tom, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me, Steph. Appreciate it. So let's start right away. It's perfect timing to have you in. And of course, we're so thrilled and honored to have you in here as another prep school hockey season is just around the corner starting up and we're, we're getting ready to do some previews. Why don't you kind of walk us back a little bit to where things first started with you and talk a little bit more about your background. I, New England, born and raised, grew up in Connecticut and was fortunate enough to go to a private school, Hotchka School. Connecticut for three years and then play hockey at Williams College after that. So that was my first introduction sort of to Massachusetts. After Williams, after a year playing in, in Europe, I started my teaching career at Lawrence Academy where I taught English and history and was assistant coach boys varsity hockey there and had three great years and learned a lot from my mentor, Charlie Corey, who ran a great program when he was at Lawrence. From Lawrence, I was fortunate to get offered a position at Nobles as an English teacher and boys varsity hockey coach. I took over for Dick Flood, who had coached there for, for many years. I had gone to college with his two sons, so there was a connection and the opportunity for my wife and me to move our family uh, a little bit closer to Boston. And we had been in a dorm for the first three years, so now we've been in a day school situation for us and make a home in Dedham. So... I coached the boys for 14 years, really enjoyed it, and then about the year 2000, as our family, five kids playing a lot of hockey, my wife had an opportunity to go back to business school. It was just an opportunity for me to move over and coach the girls and continue what I'd started by when I was, because I had been coaching at Aspen Valley Girls Program with my two daughters who were going to be on that first team of mine in 2000, 2001, and even though they graduated from Nobles and 2003 and 2005, they just did such enjoyable part of my workday coaching girls hockey that I've stayed with it. And here we are 21 years later, and I'm still at it. Wow. So five young kids <laughs> all playing youth hockey. That must have been one busy schedule, one hectic weekend in the rinks. Yeah, we had a big master calendar with where the games, and it was either my wife or I driving kids, carpooling with teammates and their families, and even throwing in a babysitter who learned to find a lot of different rinks in, in the Boston area. But we made it work, and our kids love playing the sport as well as many other sports that they were involved in. It's a good thing she got that MBA or that business school degree because mm-hmm. probably needed it just to keep track of your, your yeah, calendar back right. then. So 36 years at Nobles, that's remarkable and one of the current longest standing coaches in New England and also one of the most successful coaches in New England. So we have you at over 800 wins during that tenure, which is just remarkable. And going back to your 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 children, you had two girls that played. Yes. And you started with them at Asabet and that also transitioned to the girls team at Nobles. And so back when you first started, was that one of the main reasons you decided to transition from the boys' side at Nobles over to the girls' side? Yeah, it was a great opportunity to coach my two daughters. My older daughter was a sophomore. My younger daughter was an eighth grader. As I said, I'd been coaching Aspid teams, so I'd, my inter- I knew more about the girls' game, having been at Aspid, and also watching the Nobles, I mean, sharing the rink at Nobles with our girls' program, which has always been strong. We started 
This program started back in the late 70s, right after school went co-ed, and Mark Harrington, who coached it for many years before me, had done a, had done a really good job. And we we had, a I think it was one of the first with BB&N and maybe Pomfret School and Loomis Chafee sort of early on programs. And so it was just a great opportunity again for me to, to stay involved in coaching. And I was... I knew I was inheriting a really talented group of kids because there were some other aspect kids on, on the team and just who loved to play and really made it enjoyable. Well, I think the girls' side is certainly fortunate to have had you do that and decide to take that on so many years ago. I think there's people like you that's really helped to really push things forward. And talking about Acibet, and this will also correlate, I think, to the NEPSAC league itself, mm-hmm. you've been doing this a long time. And I'm sure you've just seen a complete evolution and change on the girls' side, dramatically. Yeah, I mean the, I mean the early days teams. You're lucky if you had a couple lines of, of players. It was much thinner in terms of the talent, and just see it grown over the years to now where we are now, where every team has three lines and four or five defensemen and a goalie or two who are all playing club hockey if not even more players in the early days not everybody was playing club hockey and one of the things on the girls side that it's still there luckily is it hasn't succumbed as much to specialization so the good athletes can who are maybe spending a little more time in the other sports can still contribute to the hockey programs and I think at Nobles we've been really fortunate our girls athletic program has been exceptionally strong across the board, and it's allowed me to benefit from really good soccer hockey players or lacrosse and hockey players or field hockey now especially. The transition for a lot of kids into field hockey has made it help that sport. So I think that's one of the things, even though it's there's more year-round hockey, there's more club hockey, there's more showcases, and you can play almost every day, I think girls really enjoy being part of teams and and we'll we'll continue to work to to make that happen. You sure can and it's great to hear you say that that's been sort of an ongoing discussion I think on this show with the specialization and multi-sport athletes it's a, it's a big discussion now cuz that's also changed a lot over the years. Would you say that on your girls hockey team still majority of your athletes are playing other sports and not only playing other sports but also are very good athletes in other sports that they play? Yes. I mean, I mean, currently this fall I have, I think, at least 10. I think 10 players on our varsity field hockey team who are on my hockey team. And last year we had nine seniors, and three of those seniors are playing college sport but not playing hockey. We have a lacrosse player at Vanderbilt. We have a field hockey lacrosse player at Williams and another lacrosse player at Williams. And then five of those seniors are going to play college hockey but also played other varsity sports at Nobles. So I've clearly benefited from the multi-kids, and, and I'm a big, big believer in that even the, my best hockey players have have gotten to the point where they have because of their playing other sports and what they bring from those other sports, as well as just the all-around development. Yeah, it seems like there's just so many benefits. I think especially running a really competitive varsity hockey team, if your kids are playing a fall sport and they come in conditioned they also come in fresh ready to go not too burnt out from from playing too much and just a lot of positives and oftentimes too I think a big trait with with girls is they do like to be with their teammates and friends and if they're playing another sport with those teammates it's going to help because they've already established a strong team connection or bond prior to your season yeah I mean it's I think it 
it's clear that um, they want to be with teams, with groups, and we've had players who, because of commitment, Michelle Picard, one of the best players ever coached, an Olympian, you know, her she was playing with the national team while she was at Nobles, couldn't play a fall sport, and still volunteered to manage our field hockey team because she wanted to be around. This year, my captain, one of my captains, Brooke Manning, senior, is managing the field hockey team, and a lot of her hockey teammates are on it. So I think they're finding ways, even if they're still not playing, to be involved with the team because that's I think that's that's one of the things I really learned. I think as I made the transition from boys to girls that. The, the team concept, uh, not necessarily the team concept, but the team experience for the group is, is really important. And I, that's it's not necessarily what happens on the ice. It's what happens in the locker room, what happens at team dinners, what happens deciding what to dress for a game day or something. There's just there's a whole there's a bigger picture there. Indeed, it is. Yeah, lots of lots of togetherness. It's, yeah. uh, it's funny to stand outside the locker room sometimes and just constant laughter and constant chatter back and forth. So it's really, really great to see. And just, I think one more thing on the, the multi-sport athlete, it's, I think with hockey players, there's just, there's so much that goes into being a great hockey player. And I think in a way, maybe my opinion, I think sometimes when it comes to the recruiting process as well for college, that coaches appreciate maybe a little bit more, dare I say, multi-sport athletes, because we talk a little bit about the athletic development process as well on this show and the hockey blueprint and if you are a good athlete at other sports there's a strong trajectory that you will have the ability to keep getting better throughout your hockey career and that's important in college these days that wasn't maybe as important 10 years ago but now you have to keep getting better every single year that you're in college if you want to keep your position in in the lineup no I agree I mean I, I think one of the the things that I worry about is that our kids who are playing multiple sports, as we've seen the development of more, I call specialty programs that are playing where girls are playing Shattuck St. Mary's in Minnesota or Naha, where they're able to play many more games and playing for September. And, and, and those programs are developing a lot of great college players. And then sometimes I, I wonder if our players who are playing field hockey six times a week and playing hockey on Sunday in the fall or going to a, the Labor Day tournaments and or show, or a showcase, maybe they're, they're not as in hockey shape as, as they're going to be. And, but I think their development is potentially has, has a greater upside to it than, than some kids who might be more proficient earlier on. And I'm, I haven't coached at the college level and I haven't recruited from that level, but I hope that we don't lose some of that as as kids spend more time on on the hockey side and, and may, might look like they're a better candidate at, at the high school level, but they might not get there at the college level, or they might not have have that upside potential that some of the kids who haven't quite played as much have. Coach, wonderful perspective there, and of course, moving on a little bit, mm-hmm. we couldn't have you on the show without embarrassing you, <laughs> and by that, just all of your incredible accolades over the years, truly remarkable, as I said in the introduction, just really a legendary career, and that'll help, I think, transition into our discussion on the NEPSEC itself, and just talking a little bit more about the league, but you have 10 NEPSEC championships, Yes, that's 10. The first nine were NEPSAC Division I titles, and the last one in 2019-20 season was the NEPSAC Elite Eight title. And I think before we move to or discuss how the league has transitioned to those three different tournaments, 
that's really a remarkable line of accolades. Like it's, it's just so hard to win. We were talking a little bit offline and just winning that last game of the season. How hard is it to win that last game of the season? It's, You've done it 10 times. Yeah, it's very hard. I think that when, when our setup, it's a, it's a one week tournament and you're happy to, to make the tournament. It means eight teams get to play. You win that first game on the Wednesday, you get two more days of practice, which is really to me the gravy. That That's sweet. And then the weekend, love to to get there and be able to win on the Sunday game in the finals. But we've been fortunate that we've, we've found a way. I mean, I, th- I think our kids and, and I, part of it has to do with their playing other sports and competing for, as I said, Knowles has had historically a great girls athletic program. So these girls have competed and we're also part of the independent school league, the ISL, which sort of gives us another thing to shoot for a regular season ISL title. So we've got a lot of athletes on my teams who have, competed in big games and I think they they approach that with just a, a real sort of positive mindset and are able to do what they need to do at, at the right times and that's I think you know what it is you hope your players find a find a way to make the play they need to make during the game when they need to make it it's sort of an expectation of of playing for the program now they come there they they want to develop get better have a trajectory to hopefully play in college but expectation is they want to win yeah definitely and they're I mean, I think that's the the competitiveness is clear in all of them. And and whether it's field hockey or soccer, ice hockey or lacrosse or softball, it's just they approach what they have. I mean, they're great about staying in the moment. And and I think that's a lot what it is. I mean, we're these days in a society where everybody wants what's coming next, maybe more quickly than it, you know, that it's they want it to come so quickly. And I think sometimes just being able to stay in the moment is a challenge and, and Really, that's what you have to do when you, you did what you had to do to get to the point. You want to maintain that sort of idea of playing in the moment for even when the game might have the more significant ramifications because it's a championship game. One game series at that point, as yeah. they say. So you, you do that whole season and it's one game series and there's almost nothing better, right, as a coach, playing in those big games and all that hard work all season and dedication and comes down to that one game such a great feeling right to get that opportunity yeah no I mean we've been more than fortunate to have won 10 of those and I think five times where we didn't win that last game but to have that many opportunities and it's it's a great reward for as I said a lot times my players the body of work they've put in for the whole season and sometimes especially when we don't win that last game it's like don't forget what you've done to get here and taken maybe 24 hours of disappointment. And then all we're talking about is the great things that happened all season, regardless of how that last game ended. It's wonderful advice. And let's talk about the tournament itself. So that changed in the 2019-20 season, as we said. So it moved to a three-tournament setup. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've been part of that. So Kind of help yeah, us explain that a little bit. Uh, NEPSAC is set up in all of its sports. Either they have different classes, A, B, C, D, E, or Division One or Two, and it's usually about size of school and so forth. But it's also where they want to compete. And so for in girls hockey, for years we've had one, two divisions, and it wasn't necessarily based on. So there were some smaller schools that were in Division One. It was really sort of each school had the opportunity to choose where they wanted to be. And we had two tournaments, eight teams 
eight Division One teams and eight Division Two teams. And we realized that as more programs developed on the girls' side and the game got to the point where it is now with much more depth to teams, there was, and, and NEPSAC has always wanted to create more opportunities for teams for postseason play. Obviously, it makes it exciting as you're coming down the stretch, knowing that you have a chance to, to extend your season. So a few years ago, we were able to add basically six more teams to the tournament. And so we have what we call the Elite Eight. So regardless of what size your school is, your end-of-season record, the eight teams are, are put into that tournament. And then we have a large school tournament, another eight teams, and we have a small school tournament where six teams are in it, which could very well end up going to eight teams down the road. It's, it's sort of A lot of it is based on a sort of a percentage of how many programs there are overall. And so the, the, at the beginning of the season – Depending on female enrollment in the schools, they're split right down the middle, large school and, and small school. So people know where they are for each season. And so it's, I think it's created three tournaments, three final games on the last day. And because of COVID, we haven't had those three games at one site yet. Last year, we still, the, the higher seed hosted the final games, but the plan is this year in Taft School in Connecticut will be the host. There'll be three final games there if everything goes according to schedule. So it seems like the revised format has helped to keep up with the evolution, if you will, of, of the NEPSAC with an increased number of teams. Would you say it also kind of helps to split the parity a little bit better, gets more people playing, as you said? Yeah, I, I think what we noticed is when we had Division One and two, just two tournaments, the teams that were finished ninth or 10th and just missed out making their tournament were really good teams and had really good seasons well over 500 record and that's NEPSAC one of the rules is your team needs to be 500 or better to be eligible for postseason play but there were a lot of teams that had great season were just missing out so we realized that by creating a third tournament we weren't diluting the quality because we had teams that were had had an opportunity to extend their season and be rewarded for a really great season and I think last last year was really the f- was the first year or I guess we've done it for two years now and the the quality of the games were all most of them were one goal games or maybe two goals p- pulling the goalie or something but very competitive hockey so I think it's it's worked out remarkably well I think it's a great showcase for the incredible talent that we have not only in North America obviously here in Massachusetts as well but we're having kids come in from different parts like Europe, as we mentioned, and that's also rolling over into the college scene as well. And so far, I know with the NEPSEC, I've been really impressed with just the quality of people involved, coaches, the backgrounds. You know, there's a lot of lot of work together with people that are constantly trying to improve the league and enhance the quality. Yeah. There's, I mean, the, the dedication among the coaches and NEPSAC is, is incredible. I mean, almost all of them, that's it's part of the job that we do. People think of us, they know us maybe as a hockey coaches, but, you know, there's a whole rest of the job description. If, if you're a full-time teacher coach at your school, obviously we have some great outside coaches who, who are, are part-time, and but it's, it's a huge commitment. And I think that our coaches were always talking about how we can improve the game for, for all the players and, and sort of get the word out that this is a, a great if, if you want a high school experience and an opportunity to, to do multiple things after school, all of us share this idea that 
the school day extends beyond the classroom. And so whether it's a theater program or a community service program or an athletic program, all our kids are expected to be involved in different things. And, and I think that's what everyone realizes. We, we have that. It's a different model than some of the more specialty programs. But for for people, for kids, for families that, that want that, the opportunities there and the coaching, the instruction, the motivation, the life lessons, people are working really, really hard to impart those to the kids. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast will return after this message. Everyone knows getting hockey skates sharpened can be a hassle. Make it easier by sharpening your skates with the Sparks Sharpener. The Sparks Sharpener is safe, easy to use, and will save you time and money. It only costs about a dollar a sharpening, and you get an accurate, consistent sharpening every single time. Head over to SparksHockey.com and use the promo code RINKWISE at checkout to save $50. That's SparksHockey.com with the promo code RINKWISE and save $50. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Listen, everyone. I want to let you know about a great team that is training the next generation of hockey players. It's Bando Performance. Their experts work with hockey players at all levels, from youngsters to Olympians right on up to the pros. And I'm going to tell you how to get a great deal with them in just a sec. Bando Performance's small classes ensure the best odds for success for athletes looking to increase power and performance as well as their nutrition and health. It has the same high-tech equipment you'll find in NHL weight rooms that hockey players use to increase their strength, speed, and power. I told you I could save you some money on this, so listen up. Go to bando-performance.com and pick a training program that's right for you. And this is the good part. For RinkWise listeners, use the discount code BANDO30OFF to get a 30% discount. That's bando-performance.com with the code BANDO30OFF and see your performance improve immediately. I refer to the NEPSAC League as, at least on the girls' side, the, the most competitive, the best high school league in the country. And what I like about it is there's also a really great range and mixture of different schools and programs that are involved. So if you are interested in boarding, there's those options. If you're not, there's different options for that. And there's also different options for if somebody's straight A or if they're, they don't have straight A's. There's, there's a lot of great diversity and options and a right fit for 
anyone if they're looking for that. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about the fit a lot. I mean, I see it at both ends. I'm a college counselor, been helping our kids find the fit in terms of colleges, but kids coming into the NEPSAC schools, there's just such an array of schools out there and talked a lot of families about it's a big commitment. It's a big investment. We're not cheap, even though we offer as much financial aid as we can. It's still a big commitment for a family to take on an independent school and, and if you're going to pursue that and look at it, it's, it makes sense to look at what's out there and get get on campus, walk around, and find out about the other programs and whether it's different kinds of learning styles that have various support for kids to sort of the emphasis that schools put on different areas of their curriculum and so forth. There's there's something for everybody, and, and you can still get that hockey experience that you would hope that your child would get. I think that's a great way to put it too. It's a it's a family decision. It's a it's a decision that is not a light decision. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but it's a big investment that you're you're making for for the future. And so you also have two daughters mm-hmm. that have gone through this path and obviously you have also mentored just countless other student athletes that have followed this path. In your opinion, why do you feel that this particular path has helped them set down the path in in the future to be successful? I I think that because school like Nobles requires kids to do a lot of different things. And from our curriculum where they're going to have to take courses in English, math, language, science, we're going to require a performing arts class, a visual arts class, sort of it's much like the the traditional liberal arts education. We're also going to require that that we have an 80-hour community service requirement has to be done before you graduate. You can do it through the school. You can do it independently, depending on your schedule. As I said, everyone has after-school requirements. So they're, they're introduced to a lot of different options. They have to juggle a lot of things. So time management becomes really important, especially if they're doing outside activities, which a lot of our, our kids are. And it might be the athletes, or it might be the dancers, or the singers, or the musicians. And we also sort of encourage kids to try new things because you know they're going to be in this in class or assembly sitting next to someone who's like really into theater so they end up going to school play to see and and really maybe they'll take a theater class introduction to theater because of a friend of theirs who's so into it so you get a nice cross-section too and I, I think the athletes um, get to appreciate kids who may aren't maybe into as sports as much as they are it helps them just deal when they get to college with the the variety of people they're going to meet so there's a lot of life skills that the kids learn along the way, as well as getting a great high school experience. Sounds like great preparation for their careers down the road. It almost reminds me a little bit of when kids are, are little, when they're starting the athletic process, you, know, you throw a bunch of different activities at them, and eventually they'll sort of gravitate to one thing or another. So in a way, it almost sounds similar, but you're doing that in preparation for their careers down the road, throwing a lot of activities a lot of different acti- events and, and, and that sort of thing to really figure out what they want to do down the road. Yeah, and I think in this day and age with all the different the job options just being exploding with startups and not necessarily everything as sort of maybe structured or limited as it was once was, kids have to be ready to change. And I think this generation, it's one of the, the great things they they can pivot when they have to, and but they're, I think, introduced to a lot of those opportunities early on, and much more collaborative work, for instance, 
in our classrooms than there used to be. And, and so when they get in working post-college in new environments and so forth, working with a group of, of really diverse people is, is something that they have some experience with already. So let's revisit a little bit about your coaching and your background. And we talked a little bit about your players. Mm-hmm. And so during your career, you've gotten to work with some really talented student athletes. Several have gone on to play college hockey, including Olympic level athletes. So there's a really great educational component to this podcast and as we mentioned just a lot of families of young players and I always think it's interesting to talk a little bit about the the traits of those athletes the recurring things that you've you've seen and also just some of the paths that they took to find their success. I might be harping a little bit too much on this but doing multiple activities playing multiple sports has, has been a big cross-section or, or a commonality with with a lot of the players if, if I look at the Olympians Let's say I've I've coached Karen Thatcher, one of my early players was a student, a great hockey player, played other sports, had a lot of interests. Michelle Picard was a great softball player at Nobles and was one of our five day boarders, leader in our dormitory. Sarah Parsons and my niece Helen Rezor, who also who played together, were on this 2006 Olympic team were incredible three-sport athletes, soccer, hockey, and lacrosse. And But I think all of them, they had the drive and determination. They had the ability to move from one season to the other and make that transition. But they also had a very sort of humble approach to it. They they weren't, they were kids who were easy to coach. But they were self-motivated. And they really wanted, one, they they wanted to do as well as they could. They were competitive, but they also loved what they were doing. And, and as I said before, I think they're able to stay in the moment. So I use those are four examples of kids who've sort of gotten to a very high level. And But I'd say that across the board, my players have been really involved in the school community and haven't seen themselves as sort of, I'm just a hockey player or I'm just this or that. And I think that's been a big, it's it's been great for them, but it's also been great for our program because they're great ambassadors for our program and for the school. And no, I don't think you can harp on that enough because multi-activities just seems like a recurring theme of coaches in your position or families of, of high-level athletes because generally they're the most successful. And you mentioned internal drive, and I think that that's a really important thing when it comes to playing at a high level because the amount of time and dedication and, and hours that it takes to to put into that is is a lot. And really, if it's not coming from the athlete, then it's just almost impossible to, to get to that high level that you're discussing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it really, I mean, we, I remember the days when I was coaching at Acibit and we had Sunday morning, I don't know, I, remember, I think it might have been 7 a.m. practices. Part of the reason was to keep the older kids in line on Saturday nights <laughs> and so forth. And right. there are days where you didn't want to get up for that, maybe after already skating six days a week. Especially in those days, we didn't have a split season. It hadn't developed to the point. So the even at the U16 and U19 levels, kids were playing their school season and then Sundays during the winter, having to, to make their club commitment. So, But that, that took a lot of sacrifice and a lot of self-motivation, and which which carried over to other parts of their lives. 
7 a.m. practice on a Sunday morning. That's definitely one way to weed out the, the folks that are not serious, yeah. especially at the, the high school age. But you, you also mentioned a point that I really liked with some of the, the traits we were discussing with your, your athletes, and one was being humble, because I think that's super important. And I think with a completely different generation and a completely different upbringing with hockey now, it, it is a little bit different. And I think that that is really important because when I grew up playing, it was sort of the mentality that I was never good enough, always striving to get better and better and better. And it was just the, the, the upbringing at the time with athletics and always having coaches that pushed you and trying to make you better. And sometimes I think nowadays there's just, there's so many different things pulling families and parents in different directions. For example, in the off season tournaments and tournament teams and showcases and things like that. And I just think that it's super important for young athletes to hear that you have to constantly be working to get better. No matter how good you are, you think you are right now, you have to constantly strive to get better because there's always somebody better than you out there. Yeah. And I I think still common for a lot of our best athletes that they're, they're not going to rest on their laurels. They're not going to be satisfied. And how you go about doing that can be, I think, especially challenging these days because there are so many, often hockey, for instance, so many ways to, I mean, so much that you can do, so many ways you can do it. It can get, be confusing and overwhelming for families. And I get a lot of questions from, should I do this showcase or this one? And, or should I play for this club team or this team when the tryout season comes? And I, I've not involved with a club program anymore. I've players on six or seven different club programs and I've never advocated sort of one over the other. My advice to families is find one where your daughter is excited about playing and has fun that fits for your family schedule that's affordable you know that when you take everything into consideration it's a it's a good fit and I think and don't be don't feel you have to do everything just that's counter in my mind is counterproductive you need to be able to balance it, it out and not over overplay. I think frankly that we've probably see more injuries these days now because of overtraining or overplaying one one specific sport and that's I think one of the downsides we have to be careful about. That is great advice and from somebody who's been doing this a long time. So you've seen you've seen a lot of lot of great athletes and a lot of success. So I think that's just wonderful advice. And that said, so 36 years coaching and doing this, you've got to have some really great stories to tell or maybe some funny stories that you'd like to share with us today. We're all dying to hear. Yeah. No, I think one of the first years I was coaching the girls and making the transition from the boys, it's sort of a, a little bit of an eye-opener for me. We was a Saturday afternoon game, and in December that night, the school had a semi-formal dance for juniors and seniors. And I was pretty used to my routine of with coaching the boys, that you'd sort of want everybody at the rink a certain time before the game and they start getting dressed and we'd come in and talk to the team 10 or so minutes before they'd go on the ice and I figured I'd continue with the girls make sure that they were dressed so when I walked in there were but my one of my first experience was going in and finding two of my players including my niece were modeling their dresses for that <laughs> night's semi-formal so it was I was very taken aback by it and might have lost my temper a little bit talking about <laughs> we got a big game to play get ready Get motivated, and I learned. I think, sure enough, they were able to transition very quickly and came out, and it didn't affect the way they played. And I, I, I think that taught me a little bit about just the, 
the ability to move from one thing to another. And and there and and I think over the years I've for me, maybe who knows if it's if it's the same for other people, but you know, as I approach coaching the girls, it's sort of a little bit less is more. I mean, I feel I I, I don't have to say as much or get them prepared as much. It's more they're coming out and sort of coming together and approaching what they have in the moment. So I think it's it's taught me a little bit about the value of, of not overcoaching. That is pretty funny. That, that is a good one, I'll, I will say. So that's, that's one. I've, I've been known to sort of lose my temper at times. And there was a year when I coached the boys where I, uh, for emphasis, kicked a trash can. I didn't know the trash can was full of a lot of heavy junk in it and ended up lacerating my shin that was an injury that sort of got infected later and ended up paying the price and many years later coaching the girls I did it again for emphasis but this time I knew the trash can was empty unfortunately this time it flew across the room and and hit my one of my assistant coaches who was only volunteering with me <laughs> so I've I've had my own mistakes as well when I've approached certain things in the locker room classic Coach, we, we've all been there. We've all we've all been yeah. there, and I'm sure your players still love to tell these stories. Yeah. Also, I'm yeah, sure. they remember a lot more than I do, and and often at reunions or anytime they come back, sort of bring those things up. And I think a lot of them think I've over the years I've maybe softened a little bit and kind of thing. But it's it's fun to talk about. I like to use the word evolved instead of soften, yeah, right? We As go. we we all we all I grow have, and I've tried learn. right tried to evolve. So that that is pretty funny, and hopefully with the, the the prom dresses, hopefully it was a great prom that they yeah, went to. Yeah, no, it was a it was a semi great semi formal, and fortunately everything went well, dresses included. So that is funny, and I think maybe slightly more serious. You have mentored numerous, countless players throughout your years, and if we had some of your players sitting in here with us today, what do you think would be some of the recurring traits and characteristics that you've helped instill in them over the years? I think I've helped them see the the value of, of putting in the time and working towards something as a team and seeing sort of the big picture of what you can do. And as I talked about earlier, sort of the accomplishment over the season. I think that I've, I've always tried to instill in them this idea that they don't have to be perfect. There are days when you're not going to be feeling it or you're not going to sort of have your best stuff but as athletes you find a way to compete and sort of do what you can to help your team win I think I've I talk a lot to them about sort of making plays on the ice before you get in trouble kind of thing you don't have to make the perfect play again make a good play and one person makes a good play to at least another good play at least to a bunch of good plays which leads to usually success for your team so and and I think that I've I've instilled in them also this idea that sort of each, if you're looking at the season, it's you're sometimes it's, it's a little bit of a trite saying, but you are only as good as what you're. So the last game that you played and, and you need to go out and, and respect whoever you're playing, your opponents, and try to play at the level that you're accustomed to. And, and that sort of reflects our style too. I mean, we're, we've always been a aggressive, good skating team that our philosophy of being able to put pressure on other teams and see if they can handle it and so forth. And it's just it's sort of a keep, keep it simple kind of idea, but sort of up-tempo, aggressive, not afraid to make mistakes. And if you make mistakes because you're over-aggressive, big, that's, that's not something we're going to hold against you. 
Great insight there. And I think opening up coaches playbook a little bit on some of these successful coaching tactics over the years. And really, it sounds like just a a wonderful way that you've learned how to not put too much pressure on the kids. And I've learned over the years, it takes a while to, I think, accept this, but there is no such thing as the perfect game as a player, nor as a coach. Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, it's it's a hard game to play and I think that you want your player when they come off the ice after shift not worrying about what they did that didn't go wrong but looking forward to the next opportunity the next shift where they can make something happen and and they have to have a short short memory about things but I think again there's more exposure with hockey these days it's a higher quality product there's more from the recruiting side to the club programs and where you're playing and what you're doing there's there's more on these kids' plates. It's not as simple as it used to be, and so I think it's really really important to to be able to reinforce that they they're not going to be at their best every time they go out there. And that's for some kids that's that that's hard sometimes because they're they're competitors and they're used to doing as well as they can on on every kind of thing they do, whether it's an academic pursuit or on the ice or on the. Coach, and one of the last points that we wanted to discuss, so you've really been a huge part of creating a legacy for girls hockey. I've been fortunate throughout the the decade or so that that I've been involved and hopefully will be at 36 years at some point like, like yourself, but been fortunate enough to meet and or work with the handful of people that have truly helped to push the game forward and particularly the girls game. And you've certainly made that mark on the prep side. And what would be some of the advice or tips that you might want to give some of the upcoming people that were one day in your shoes when you first started? I think that when I started coaching the girls, I get a lot of questions of what's the difference between girls and boys. And I think I was fortunate because it, when I work with the Aspen program, there are a lot of great dedicated coaches there. And, and I knew that I I was inheriting a group of kids who, who could, were, were really good players. And so a lot of the, the drills, a lot of things I did were no different than the, the way I was with running with the boys. I, I wasn't trying to change things. I realized that they could, they could do a lot that, that I'd been doing. So that was an easy transition for me. And, and I think that it, it's, as I said, it's a hard game to play, but it, hockey's a fairly simple game in the sense that there's five players and the goalie on the on the ice so it's not as maybe complicated as let's say soccer or football with more responsibilities and I think sometimes we maybe get a little bit too over we overcoach a little bit and I think that my philosophy has really evolved in sort of a less is more that you you in a practice I might not get through every situation maybe you're thinking for the game and God, do we have to do our special teams and we do break all these kinds of things that come in the game. And, and sometimes I, f- I found myself or I found my players standing around more than they should because maybe I was explaining things. And so I've really moved to this idea of let's just, we have an hour, an hour and 20 minutes and we're going to make this, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fast. It's going to be competitive with a lot of small games 
and it's going to leave them, have them at the end of practice wanting more. I mean, I, I, what I love is at the end of a practice when we're running out of time and they want to do one, one more game or one more shift or something on, on whatever we're doing. And I think that I've really noticed that towards the end of our seasons when I think, okay, we're getting ready for the tournament, we got to do this, this, and that. And I look at the years that we've done really well. We've won that last game, and a lot of times it's we've done the same kind of things, just a lot of small games, a lot of up-tempo stuff, and not like saying, okay, we're playing this team, we got to look out for that or that, and not, not, not create situations for your players to worry about more things than they need to. Just let them put them in the mindset that this is what we do, what we want to do, what we try to do well, and let's have fun with it and go. Always wanting more. That is a yep. great bit of advice because I think that in and of itself summarizes a lot of things. Kids wanting to come back for more, and they're having fun. They want to be there. They want to get better, and shows you're doing a great job in terms of what you're doing on the ice. <laughs> yeah, it's been, when you got great kids who want to do those things, it makes life a lot of fun and, and quite easy. Well, we certainly thank you for all those years of dedication and moving the game forward and the NEPSAC league itself forward. And coach, it's truly been an honor to have you on the show with us this morning. Your legacy, vision, and passion for the game is something for all of us in the hockey community to admire. Thank you very much. Really appreciate the time and the exposure that you're giving to our league, high school hockey. And that does it for this edition of RinkWise. Our podcast is produced by David Yaz. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NE Hockey Journal and subscribe online at NewEnglandHockeyJournal.com. I'm your host, Stephanie Wood. RinkWise is a Siemens Media Production.